Welcome back. Hour two of the People's Show on Sportsnet 650. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shramati putting the show together. Ben Bassman running the show today. And, of course, you, the people as well, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. Dot net. If you want to chime in on anything, 650-650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladnor or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I will connect with uh, Tyler Uremchuk in just a second uh, from Oilers Nation. What are they saying in the inbox right now, Randy? There's uh, a lot of excitement for this season, so 650-650, hit us up with your thoughts. And uh, we got a lot of reaction, just essentially, I'm going to paraphrase your pick, the curse. Like It feels like the Brock Besser injury has hit a, a lot of people. It, it sucks. Three yeah. to four weeks is not great, but connects with the news of Brock and Mikheyev getting hurt, essentially, but hashtag Bedard time, we got a text coming in here. Listen. It's coming it, down a little bit. It, it's not great news. We don't know what's going on with Mikheyev, even though we saw him falling mm-hmm. awkwardly yesterday after the hit. But three to four weeks, you have players in the lineup like a Connor Garland. If Niels Hoaglander continues what he's doing this preseason, you have another player that can move up in the lineup. That's why you accumulate some of this depth. It stinks that two important players are the ones that get those injuries early on. No question about that. But if it's five to seven games, Vic, you should be able to deal with that. Yeah. You should be able to deal with that. I want to have this conversation on the other side, uh, but we'll pose it to you right now. But just generally speaking, like, where do you think Brock Besser ranks on the important players for the Vancouver Canucks this year? Because I think it's comfortably outside of the top five, top six, top seven. We'll get into that conversation on the other side. You can chime in, 650, 650. Uh, But let's connect now in Edmonton to Tyler Uremchuk, who joins us now from Oilers Nation. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Hockey season's ramping up. The vibes are good out here. The vibes are good, I imagine, because it's a lot of uh, building upon uh, what you saw last year. So, you know, expectations rise for a very successful season uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. Like, mentally, where is the fan base right now? Uh, Right now, I I think there's just a ton of optimism about this team. Like, I mean, with any team heading into training camp, there's certainly storylines and arguments within the fan base about players like Yessa Pugliarvi and Warren Fogel and Dylan Holloway, sure. But I think as a whole, most sane fans are fully expecting this team to go on another run to the Final Four, to compete for the top spot in the division and win the Pacific Division. Like, expectations are high, but deservedly so. Okay, so when we talk about the Edmonton Oilers, I think one of the first things we think about, of course, are the star players. You think about, you know, what ceilings they're able to hit. But the the biggest question and the most intriguing part of this team this year might be yet again goaltending. But this year, they did sign somebody in Jack Campbell. Uh, what are the feelings about this guy heading into Edmonton? Because he showed so many great things in Toronto in the first half of the season. Once he got hurt, kind of fell off, rebounded a bit. But what's the the sense that you're getting early on with his his fit with this team? Well, I think an important thing to remember here is that it's a Jack Campbell-Stewart-Skinner combo, and that's what's replacing the Miko Koskin and Mike Smith combo, who, I mean, Mike Smith down the stretch last season was just remarkable. He was one of the best goalies in the NHL in the last six weeks of the season. The high end was there sometimes. It was just when Smith and Koskin and bottomed out and were bad, it got really, really ugly. And I think what the Oilers are hoping for and what 
fans are expecting with a Campbell-Skinner duo is just, you know, maybe that high, high end that you would get every once in a while from Mike Smith. Maybe that doesn't exist with this year's combination, but they're younger, right? Campbell's the oldest of the two at 30. Skinner's like 23, 24 years old. The, the floor should be higher. The bad games shouldn't be as bad. And Oilers fans have been begging for years, someone just give us consistent 9-10 to 9-16 goaltending. You don't need a Vesna-caliber goalie on this team because their offense is so good that they'll still win games. So I think with Campbell, what he brings is hopefully just a little bit more stability to the crease for Edmonton, just consistent, solid results versus the volatility you got with the Smith-Koskinen duo. What about the environment in front of them? Now, like even outside of the, just the six D-man in front of them, how much is being addressed of like how the forwards can help out the defense this season? Yeah, I still think the, the old saying of a best, the, the best defense is a good offense is going to apply to the Oilers to some extent, right? When you can run McDavid and Dreisaitl for, what, 40 minutes of the game? Like, you're, you're going to spend a lot of time in the other team's end. And they're going to, their bread and butter is probably going to be their transition game as well. And I think the important pieces on the blue line are Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard. I would have them probably playing on separate pairings so that on, you know, every time McDavid or Dreisaitl are on the ice, you also have someone who can distribute the puck well. And just getting clean zone exits is going to be important for the Oilers. Because I think, you know, with the way their forward group is built and with the way their defense kind of is, when another team establishes a cycle, it might be a bit of a problem for Edmonton. I think their team defense is probably their biggest weakness, but the way they can overcome that is just from their high-octane offense being able to get the puck out of their end and spend a ton of time at the other end of the ice. You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Tyler Uremchuk of Oilers Nation and, of course, Daily Faceoff as well. And you mentioned a name a little bit earlier on. Anytime we talk about the Edmonton Oilers, it's... Talk about the big guys, but supporting cast is one of the things that follows after. Do they have the supporting cast? Dylan Holloway is the name you mentioned earlier. A lot of hope uh, in this kid. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, former first-round pick. He scored yesterday as well, but, you know, what's the ceiling with him, I think? And what's the immediate impact he could make this year? I, right now, he's definitely not a lock to make the team. I think when you look at the way the competitions are shaping up in camp, um, the left side, there's kind of a Fogel slash Holloway spot. And I think those two are battling for the third line left wing spot. Maybe Fogel flips over to the right side or something like that. That's entirely possible. Um, but I think he has a chance to make the team. The only thing I'm kind of struggling with as I assess his game through the preseason is, okay, right now, at least in the first game, he looked good against American League competition. That's great. Um, when we get to tougher competition, what will it look like? And also, do you want a first-round pick playing on your third line? Is that a good spot for him? Or would you rather have him go down to the American League and maybe when there's an injury, he can come up and play a meaningful top-six role? That's kind of the battle I would imagine that's going on in the Oilers' front office slash, slash coach's room is, do you want this high-end prospect playing on a third line and getting 12 minutes a game? Is that best for his development? Or is it for him to go play 20 minutes in Bakersfield? Because I think just from what we know about Holloway as a prospect and from people I've talked to down in Bakersfield last season – He's probably really, he's probably ready to take a step. Like he could contribute at the NHL level, but do they want him in a third line role? That's always the thing you wrestle with, with these high end prospects. Talking to Tyler Garemchuk from Oilers Nation. Joining us here on the People's Show, Vic Nazar and Randy Janda. Uh, so we know that they always have this break glass in case of emergency situation. That five on five, they can go Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisel, Dreisel together, and they will destroy worlds and defensive bearings. But what is the assumed. 
uh, position here for this group that if they're apart, like who's going to be the beneficiaries playing next to these guys? I think the biggest one's probably Evander Kane. Um, I mean, he almost scored a goal a game in the playoffs playing with Connor McDavid for the bulk of that. Uh, going back to the regular season, him and McDavid seemed to work really well together, racking up 22 goals in 43 games. You know, Evander Kane, if you're a fantasy hockey player listening to this, he's probably worth taking a shot on pretty early because he could very easily score 35-plus goals this season just going hard to the front of the net with Connor McDavid. He's that good. So Evander Kane is definitely going to be the prime beneficiary of playing with Connor McDavid. The Leon Dreisaitl line, that could actually end up being Zach Hyman, who uh, eclipsed 25 goals last season or scored at a 25-plus goal pace last season. He missed a little bit of time with injury. Yeah, he had 27 goals in 76 games. Um, if he's next to the Leon Dreisaitl there, that's a duo that could just really wear down the opposition in the offensive zone. They're both big bodies. They protect the puck really, really well. There's been a bit of talk that maybe Yesopuliarvi finds himself on the right side of that line, and then you have just three big bodies that could really wreak havoc in the offensive zone. But the two guys who are going to be the main trigger men for 29 and 97, it's Kane and Hyman. So there's a uh, prospect that Vancouver Canucks fans, uh, during this draft year anyways, focused a lot on. He plays now with the Edmonton Oilers, Philip Broberg. Uh, How far away is he from the NHL? He's like knocking at the door. He's already knocked on the door, actually, when you consider that he's played a few games last season at the NHL level. The people, again, you talk to in Bakersfield kind of say, you know, for a 21-year-old, his game looks pretty mature. He's six foot three, almost 200 pounds. He's probably ready to take that step, but same thing I said about Holloway. The Oilers brought in Ryan Murray. They have a left-handed veteran defenseman who can play on that third pairing. Do they view it as best for Philip Broberg to play 13 minutes a night in the NHL? Or do they say, hey, first half of the year, go to Bakersfield, 22 to 25 minutes a night for you, playing against men, get a little bit more seasoned, and when there's an injury, you'll come up and play a more meaningful role. That's probably the biggest decision with Broberg is when he was in the NHL last season, he actually looked pretty good. It's just a matter of do the Oilers want him on the third pairing here or on the top pairing in Bakersfield? Do they view him as a future potential top four kind of guy where they want him to get that experience playing 25 minutes a night? Or do they just say, no, he makes our team better now and we're trying to win right now? It's a really interesting decision. My best guess, they, they liked running 11-7 and seven a lot last year, so he maybe sticks with the NHL team if they decide to go with 11-7 and seven on a nightly basis again next year. But I think it might be best for this guy to just rack up 20 minutes a night in Bakersfield. What is the biggest question you have on that blue line right now? Because I, I think uh, a lot of people will say, well, Darnell Nurse, he's washed. Like the version that we saw Darnell Nurse at the end of the year is not who you expect to see. But you know, for me, it might even be something like Cody Ceci. Can you get another season like that out of him? What is the biggest question you have on this blue line? Yeah, Cody Ceci really surprised me last mm-hmm. year. I didn't love that contract. I thought it was too long. And then he comes in the lineup and he's competently handling top four minutes. And by the end of the year, he's actually putting up really good results against elite competition. And it was kind of like, wow, for $3.2 million, this is actually a great signing, a great contract for the Oilers. They're going to need that again because Evan Bouchard, while I expect him to be better in his own head, he's not a great defensive defenseman. He's more known for the offensive side. So is Tyson Berry. CeCe is the only right shot D-man who you can really trust to give you solid results in his own end of the ice. On the left side, Nurse and Kulak, that's great. Ryan Murray on the third pairing should be solid, but I don't love the depth there. If one of Kulak or Nurse goes out, well, then all of a sudden Ryan Murray has to play top four minutes, which he hasn't done in a while, and Philip Broberg in as an everyday on the third pairing. I just I don't love the depth, and they just have a really low amount 
of quality defensive defensemen. I think that's going to be a problem. I would fully expect if you guys have me on in March or February, whenever the trade deadline is, I'll probably be sitting here telling you about how the Oilers need to go get a shutdown left-handed defenseman to round out their decor. Because I just, I think they're one defensive defenseman away from having a decently complete group. Uh, Well, hopefully we talk to you before uh, February and March. Uh, This is great. Uh, We'll chat soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, Tyler Uremchuk, uh from Oilers Nation and DailyFaceoff.com. Interesting team. Yeah, you expect them to be... It's it's, it's cup finals. Like, yeah, like that's the next step. I we I know that they we all live in this world where Colorado is tremendous, right? Sure. But linear growth, right? That's how I imagine Oilers fans are looking at this thing. Hey, we can get to the conference finals. The next step is we have to take that one more step to get to the cup finals. Yeah, and the biggest question with that team is going to be defense. It's, yeah. you know, I, I think they're probably in a more comfortable spot in goaltending. Jack Campbell making, you know, that money is going to be something that you go, look back and say, is he worth it? But they believe in Stuart Skinner. They like him. That's why they kept him around. They got him, you know, they, pretty decent tandem, I would say. It's not amongst the best in the league for me, but it's still a decent tandem, especially compared to what they had. The defense is going to be it. Darnell Nurse makes a lot of money. I don't think he's going to live up to that, but how good can he be? Because last year he was injured in the playoffs. We have, to, we have to be fair to the player. He was injured, he was playing hurt, and he looked bad. But he's not that bad. He's nowhere near that bad. What can he get? Is he a $7 million defenseman? Is he a $8 million defenseman? I don't think he's going to be full value. And then beyond that, Vic, you start looking at that back end, saying, yeah, I can understand why you'd be a little bit pessimistic in the playoffs when you've got head-to-head matchups against some really good forwards. You might be losing a couple of those battles, especially when you start looking at those defensemen, but they do have the game breakers. That one, one player transition, that one player counterattack changes everything. Vic Nazar, Randy Jandy here on The People's Show. You can always be part of the show, 650-650. Uh, so I want to go back to that conversation that I was pitching right before we talked to Tyler. Is yeah, Look, people are texting in like, oh, Canucks cursed and Brock Besser. Another injury, here we go. And, and there's obviously levels of concern coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Here's the difference to me, though. When Brock Besser got hurt all those years ago against the Islanders, 2018, here's the, the next group of players that were basically on that team. Obviously, Daniel Henrik Sedin, Bo Horvat. It was like Sam Gagne, it's Brandon Sutter, it's Marcus Granlin, it's Thomas Vanek, uh, Sven Berchi. A who's who, really? It's, so when Brock Besser gets hurt in 2018, it's... Brutal. Yeah. It's it's a monumental. This is one of the top two players in the organization right now as far as importance to the group moving forward. The here and now at that point, yes. yes. And he also gave hope. Yeah. He was the first he look rep- at this guy. He represented yeah. a lot of hope for people. Someone who you know, people would have claimed could have gone on to win the Calder Trophy. And so when, when the injuries have piled up, it's like, oh, okay, season over, all this sort of stuff. And we, like we've already gotten... Suck hard for Bedard text coming in, right? One injury. Yeah. When he got hurt then, it mattered, and it was devastating. Where does Brock Besser actually rank for you on levels of importance to the organization right now? Okay, this is a really great question because you start going through the roster. Go through the forwards at first, right? Pedersen. Let's do the three easy ones. Yeah. The three easy ones are Pedersen, Hughes, Demko. Done. Easy. But even beyond that, this is where it probably gets, like, I'd probably put Miller four. Miller's there. Okay. I think Bo Horvat for me is there. So I put, put Coles in 
a little bit above Bo just because okay. contract status and all that sort of stuff. And I, I'm just more excited about that player in general. But they're they're in the same tier. Okay, I, I think just with the the options that you get at that center position when you have Bo Horvat there, mm-hmm. that makes him that much more important. I'd have Pod Coles in there as well, just below him, mm-hmm. and then I'd actually probably throw an OEL. Importance. We're not yeah. talking about best player. We're talking about importance. We're not talking about talent or any of that. About how many minutes that player plays, his importance in various, you know, situations. I look at Oliver Ekman Larson to say he's probably he is definitely above Brock Besser in importance for me. And then I get to Brock Besser. So mm-hmm. that's a list of about seven, eight players. It's not, it's not an Brock insignificant Besser, amount. Brock Besser is number eight on that list. And I think you could even put like again in this tier, I would say it's it's but Colson, it's Horvat, it's OEL. I'm with you. That was the name I was going to bring yep. up. And I think again, just the way he gets brought into the organization and what the expected usage is, I think Ilya McKay is going to have some importance to this team as For well. Sure. And this is why, hey, that depth matters here. The recoverability from this injury now versus what happened all those years ago, four years ago. Where, like, that was it. It was like, all right, now what? Yeah. Kind of play this out. Now you look at this, and we talked about, hey, Garland is someone that can maybe jump up on the line and play with Miller and Ben Pearson. But it's no longer a fourth liner that you look at and say, well, how's he going to fill in? Yeah. Now you look at and say, okay, well, Nils Hoaglander, can you jump up and play in a higher role? Like, he's a beneficiary as well of this. Well, if you do move Garland up to that line, remember, you know, their underlying numbers when those three players play together are pretty decent. But originally, Besser, Miller, Pearson, strong. No, sorry, strong I mean Hoagland with Bo. Like, oh, for sure. Like, but you my could do is, that. My point is there's a trickle-down effect, right? Right, Because Bo, yes. Pod, Colson, and Garland had great underlying numbers last year as well. So, yes, Ho- you know, Hoaglander gets an opportunity to move up, but you've got to tinker the other line, which is a bit of a hit, you'd assume. Sure. And I... I think, you know, do you want to impact two lines or do you want to impact one line? Exactly. Basically? So there is a bit of a trickle-down effect. Hoaglander has a great opportunity. So when we talk about players getting that bump up, I think there's a three guys we're looking at. Garland has an opportunity to go onto the top line, play with JT Miller, and really get a chance to put up some points here. Then you're talking about probably, as you mentioned, Niels Hoaglander playing with Bo Horvat. The other name I threw on there is Power Play 1. It's an opportunity for Andre Kuzmenko. Mm-hmm. The net front pr- uh, presence where he saw him play last night, we know in the KHL he was able to play two positions, either the JT Miller position or the Brock Besser position. And whether he can take the punishment down low, we'll have to wait and see. But he's got the vision to make the passes. And there's a couple of moments yesterday where he opted to pass and where if you just kind of change the angle a little bit, you try to do a bit of a wraparound, maybe over time, Preseason game one, you don't worry about it too much. But he's going to have an opportunity if now that Brock is missing some time, you've got him playing that spot there. And he does have experience playing that in Russia. So I look at three players who are going to get an opportunity out of this. The first two you mentioned, I'd throw Kuzmenko in there as well because power play one now all of a sudden opens up. Look, we were essentially talking about guys that previously would have stepped up into the lineup uh, back in the day. It, it was like Michael Chapu and... Don't say Jason Magna. I wasn't gonna. We're all thinking it. We're all thinking it. Like you see, Jokinen featured in in that part of the season, right? Lyndon Vay. Yeah, and Brendan Leipzig and Darren Ultrabald and all those styles of players. Nils Hoaglander, again, even if you're like me, that's a little bit down on Nils Hoaglander. In a pinch, 
Like, this is the role that makes sense for Nils Hoaglander. In a third-line role, yeah, like, he he's battling with Kuzmenko. Yeah. And we're talking about, hey, he looked like he fit. Top nine role is what Nils Hoaglander should be competing for. The fourth line with, with Dakota Joshua and Curtis Lazar, Jason Dickinson, he's just not a fit there. No. That doesn't mean he's not better than some of those players. It's just the role you're going to be asked to do is different. So he's going to be a big beneficiary of this, and Jim Rutherford has been praising him, and Patrick Alvin and Bruce Boudreau have all been praising his camp so far. Well, now you're getting an opportunity here. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the lineup will be like on Thursday against Seattle. That's uh, a game here at Rogers Arena as well. At 6.30, you can listen to that at Sportsnet 6.50. But it is going to be something that you look back at and say, all right, Niels Hoaglander set himself up really, really well coming out of camp in Whistler. Now, can you, at this level, when you're playing probably with the big boys against, as time goes on here, better teams and more NHL players, can you establish yourself as, we were talking about, if he's sent down to the AHL, could he be the first call-up? Like, that was the low point. Now, you've set yourself really well that you might be called upon to jump in there because of that Besser injury, because of that maybe Mikheyev injury as well. He's in a good spot. Now he's got to prove that he can play and he can get that trust back from the players and the coach. Uh, 650-650, I feel like Besser getting injured feels the same as if OEL got injured. Uh, it's coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message. Kind of the same yeah. tier. Yeah. The, the, the same tier. But, again, it just goes to show, four years ago, it was he was the second, maybe third most important player. Now it's down to seven, eight, maybe nine. And the reason I would say I have OEL above him is that how many options do you have on winger? You got a fair bit. Even with these injuries to Mikheyev and Brock Besser, you still got options. We're talking about who you move up. Connor Garland. Kuzmenko could have a role in power play. You could have Hoaglander. If you lose somebody on the left side of defense, how many legit top four center or sorry top four defensemen do you have? Legit. Quinn Hughes is one. Oliver Ekman Larson is two. And then beyond that, fill in the blanks because there's not many. So the importance factor, Ekman Larson to me is is higher because you just don't have that depth on the back end either. 650, 650. Keep coming in with your thoughts. Uh, we'll read some more on the other side as well. Uh, and for people texting in, hey, where did the injury occur? Uh, for Brock Besser. Lou in Calgary is wondering if this happened at the Beauty League. It's, uh, no, it happened at day three at camp on Saturday in Whistler. So you can uh, disabuse yourself of that idea. Yeah. The Beauty League had apparently nothing to do with this. No. This was a, a while back. And hey, Brock Besser was on Canuck Central with Sat and mm-hmm. Dan, very optimistic on Friday. He was looking forward to wrapping up camp in Whistler and coming out and playing. So no issues at that point. The next day is when the injury happened. Uh, 650, 650, more of your thoughts on the other side. We'll get into the conversation as well. More stock up, stock down, because there definitely was a stock down. Uh, and while we talked about one thing that excited us uh, after yesterday's game, Randeep, uh, what's the thing that uh, has you a little bit concerned? This well, is a concern going back from last year. I'm, I'm yeah. going to drop a little bit of a hint. Okay. My question still stands. What is the best fit? Who is going to play next to Tyler Myers? That is my concern. 650-650 on the other side. Bick Nazar, Randy Bjanda here on The People Show, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is The People Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Here's Bick Nazar and Randy Bjanda. Show if you want to chime in 650 650. 
into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, this one. Uh, so you mean to tell me Besser joins Satin Dan, then he gets injured? Hmm. Not we, saying, just saying. We know the people show bump is a thing. Is there a Canuck Central curse? Slump? <laughs> the bump versus the slump. That's funny. Good stuff in the inbox. <laughs> you can take that up with uh, Satin Dan <laughs> as they host Canuck Central in about an hour and a half time for our live listeners. We're not trying to put that evil on them. However, certainly. It wasn't up. us, Vic. It was yeah. the texter. Yeah. People are noticing. People are saying, Randy, as they uh, like to joke about it. Uh, people are saying. Uh, all right. We want to do a stock down as well. We did our stocks up uh, earlier on in the show at the top of hour one. You can go listen to the start of the show if you missed it on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, however you listen to your pods. Always appreciate it. Drop a five-star review as well. We don't care what you say. You can be mean. Well, I'll try not to be mean. But uh, you can be harsh if you want. You can uh, you can make fun of us. That's fine. You can have All constructive criticism. But just drop a five-star review. We're definitely going to see it when it's five stars. No, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we, we welcome the slander as long as, long as it's fun and jokes. <laughs> uh, but we talked stock up. Vasily put colds in, obviously, a little bit of a highlight there as well. But just in general, looked really sharp. You mentioned the physicality. Jack Rathbone, mm-hmm. stock up. Just a different mover on the ice for me. Still a young player. He's not going to be a perfect and a finished product immediately in a preseason game. But looks like he belongs in the NHL. Stock down, Randeep. Who is it for you? All right. I I understand it's one game. I understand it's one game. But when it's a veteran, I do watch this a little differently. And for me, it was Danny DeKaiser. He's not signed to the Vancouver Canucks. He's on a PTO. But when you are in a position to play next to Tyler Myers, you've done that in scrimmages. You've built some chemistry. I understand it's the first preseason game. But puck management right off the bat in that game. Bobbling the puck. It happens. But the, my real concern with Danny DeKaiser is mobility. And there was an interference penalty, believe in the second period that he takes, that kind of shows that, okay, the puck management, the communication, that will grow if they end up signing him. And you'd hope with Tyler Myers, that's something that they can build. I, I will say it is a general concern about Danny DeKaiser in general. Sure. But last night, I'll chalk that up to preseason rust. I, and I think if you heard Bruce Boudreaux's comments after the game, he didn't. He pretty much admitted they didn't look good together, mm-hmm. but he gave the benefit of the doubt. He was kind to the veteran defenseman. But my stock down for Danny DeKaiser still stays that because this is a, a player that on the PK makes a lot of sense on this roster, mm-hmm. right? This is a guy that's going to eat some minutes. If they sign him, the PK is kind of the, the main area I look at. But five on five, they didn't look good. And we're talking about one game. We're not talking about the entire preseason. For one game, the stock is down because simple things of making that decision. You know, Physical handling traits, the puck. Just, yeah. just those things that you'd expect from a veteran defenseman. In it, playing next to another veteran defenseman, I didn't see that. I saw him kind of maybe a deer in headlights moment right off the beginning of the game, and boom, he gets hit, coughs up the puck. Happened a couple of times in that game. Didn't like it. The physical traits was the concerning bit. And... You know, we just heard Conor McDavid two weeks ago talking about the, the league has never been faster than it is right now. And you can't exist in a world where you have like classic English footballers like Harry Maguire. It's just like the big marauding guys that are here to just beef it up. You need mobility. It is the fundamental requirement. 
and I can live with average mo- mobile players because the average is always getting higher. Sure. But man, when you are physically limited and or already questioning in general um, overall defensive value, like he can eat pucks. Yeah. He's great at blocking shots, but how do you break plays up? Like that's the thing. Like Luke Shen can sometimes struggle with mobility, but you know what he does? He breaks up plays and he's tough along the boards. If if you already struggle with that and now mobility is an issue, where are you winning defensively outside of just blocking shots? And if you are looking at a defenseman that's going to have to play a fair number of minutes, if they sign him, him playing next to Tyler Myers, essentially your second pairing. This is the problem though, okay? As, as much as I'm with you stock down, yeah. and we, we say stock down as, as far as making the team kind of thing, sure. right? What is the other profile? Like, does the his profile of D-man, D-man exist on the roster? Left-handed stopper. And that's what concerns me. We were talking about this yeah. before the break of who plays next to Tyler Myers because I was not impressed by Danny DeKaiser after game one. And mm-hmm. listen, there's the rest of the preseason. If he plays on Thursday, which you'd expect, he's on a PTO. They w- probably want to see more of him. They also probably want to see, yeah, give him a chance to showcase as well, if, even if he's not a part of the plans. And, and you'll generally have a level of deference to veteran players. I know you're concerned about a veteran player, yep. but generally speaking, veterans know, hey, preseason, I know how to get myself game 10, game 15, and yes. work myself through the process of the season. Danny DeKaiser has been through that. So but he's, he he's in a different situation, though, he right? Isn't, and, he's and a you, plan for a contract. You would like to see the bat out of cage kind of yeah. scenario here of PTO and, and lay it all in line. At the same time, that's why like I'm willing to give some of it a pass. But you're right; just in general, the physical mobility was something that was glaring. Yeah, that he's supposed to be a stay-at-home option, so you expect Tyler Myers to to make those moves, and like he did on that Vasily Podkolzin goal, he's going to take chances occasionally. Is the guy back there mobile enough to deal with that? You expect forwards to help out and come back when, especially a defenseman, will pinch, but. Danny DeKaiser, the mobility is the biggest question I have. I know even through camp, there's discussions of, hey, can he skate? Can he, can he be the guy that moves up, moves around well enough? Listen, teams have won Stanley Cups with guys that don't maybe move the best. And you look at Tampa Bay and some of the defensemen they had further down the lineup. Luke Shen was one of them, right? Zach Bogosian is a guy that's not going to be known these days for his skating. Mm-hmm. But if you put him next to the right person, you'll be okay. Here's the problem with the Danny DeKaiser situation is that I'm questioning whether the mobility is there. He's got a couple of games to figure it out and show us that he can do better. But the other thing is, if he does make this roster, that's effectively your second pairing. That's a lot, a lot of minutes for a guy that you still have questions about regarding uh, regarding mobility. And that was uh, your one big concern. You can text him with yours, 650-650 as well. And look, this is the thing that happens when you do the Quinn Hughes switch, right? Okay, now you got an extra body on the mm-hmm. right-hand side. You can say, hey, worst-case scenario, Luke Shen is on our third pairing with someone like Jack Rathbone, or you know, we don't know what, what's going on with Tucker Pullman. But that, that profile of player just does not exist now on the left. And you can put Quinn Hughes back on the left and say, OEL, Hughes, Rathbone are there. They're all similar in style, but we, we need to do this. This body just doesn't exist for the Vancouver Canucks right now. Then, then you open up a hole on the right side. They, they essentially, like, there's numbers on this team. There's eight guys. But to fill in all the roles, they really have five guys. Yeah. You know, it is, it's, it's, they need six roles, but they only have five styles of player. 
The question that they're going to have to answer is, if you move Quinn to the right, and that's a permanent change, who's going to play next to Tyler Myers? And if you move Quinn back to the left-hand side, who's going to play with Oliver Ekman Larson? Yeah. Because, yeah, Tyler Myers is going to be the the classic, oh, yeah, you can get him to play with OEL. They did it last year. But was that the best way to get the most out of Oliver Ekman Larson? I, I don't think so. There's more offense in his game. So you do, in the end, Bick, it's going to come back to a question of, who plays next to Tyler Myers. Mm-hmm. And Dermott is an interesting option because he is versatile, but is he the right fit for playing next to Tyler Myers? Because I know there's a lot of people. We had a texture, Arden in Vancouver, asking that question last week. Dermot Myers. Is that the profile you went next to Tyler Myers? I think it, it, it's the, the, the style of player I'm looking for. And as much as we talk about it wasn't a good performance for Danny DeKaiser, how much can your stock go down when you're the only profile of a left-sided stopper? And I found Bruce Boudreaux's comments really interesting in that regard because he admitted they didn't have a good night. Mm -hmm. But he did, he was very kind to Danny DeKaiser, just saying, hey, you know, his first game, he's a veteran guy, he's played a lot of time, uh, a lot of games in the NHL, probably understanding that they do probably need him in some way or form based on that profile. So that's the biggest question for me. I know the injury stuff with Brock Besser and Ilya Mikheyev is going to be headline material. And that happens. They're top six forwards on this team. You got to fill that somehow. But the real question goes back to defense yet again. Those players will get healthy in the depth. Hopefully everyone's healthy and you'll see what the depth can look like. You got the pieces. You you have the pieces. The defense... You don't have the pieces. Don't have the pieces. You don't have the fit. So how do you correct that situation? And, And we're not even talking getting like... Jacob Slavin level left-sided D-man. Defensive profile. For me, for my money, the best sure. defensive D-man. Should be in the Norse running, or Norse running yeah. every year. Yeah, Maybe in the game. I'm just talking like Brian Dumoulin level. Right? Who I, I think is better than people realize, yeah. but not someone who gets a high prestige level of, oh, wow, he, he's there to have such a very good defensive presence. Here's the problem. I think they have that player potentially. Or even the, like Brett Kulak, right? Like he would have fit pat perfectly in, in, in this team. I think they might have a player of that level or at the ceiling with Tucker Pullman if he's healthy. Like if if he can adjust. and It's, it, it's that version of a player, but on the yes, left side. Yeah, but that's the problem. He's on the right-hand side. You don't have that guy <laughs> on the left-hand side. And this is where, yet again, you have a certain profile on the right-hand side with Shen, with Pullman, but you don't have that on the left-hand side. And... I know Tyler Myers has talked about playing on the offside. We talked to him about that last week at the Milford. There's been a lot of conversation of, hey, we're going to get Quinn to play on the right-hand side. If DeKaiser ain't the answer, do you make a move on trying to get one of your right-hand guys to play on the left-hand? It's a lot of mismatching, and it's a lot of offside play, but you got two guys on the right-hand side, if they stay healthy, in Shen and Pullman, that play that certain profile, Vic. But... Unless you're bringing in a defenseman, which it's going to be tough. How do you bring them in at this point of the season? You're going to have to try something creative or you sign Danny DeKaiser and say, hey, the mobility's not there, but we're going to have to give him sheltered minutes. He's going to be strong in the PK and otherwise we have to be extremely careful in usage. To me, that's a slippery slope. Uh, unsigned text here, 650-650. This says less about DeKaiser than it does about the Canucks defense. Myers is a turnover and defensive mistake prone fifth D-man and they're thinking... Let's put DeKaiser next to him on a second pair. That's brutal. I've said this, I think, 50 times in the last three shows. They have three third-pairing 
but they have three third pairs, mm-hmm. right? That that's the reality of the Canucks situation. This is what happens if you're if you're going to do this this Hughes OEL thing yeah, full time. Big drop off. You're you're going to have to figure out how to work the minutes, and that's why we talked about is that is that a situational thing that they play in the offensive zone, and you're just going to load up Hughes in minutes, so that pushes to twenty five plus, and then you'll see Hughes and Shen in the defensive zone. You'll see OEL go with Myers in the defensive zone, and just try to make that work. Or is that going to be Hughes and OEL permanently together, and you just rotate the, the the pairings? And this is something like on top of these players playing in these roles, Randy. This is also something that uh, a coach is going to have to figure out on the fly. Of okay, these situations I play this guy. How many minutes is this guy playing? Do I have to get Jack Rathbone out for our, from nine minutes to thirteen minutes? How where's OEL situational play right now? DeKaiser, how many minutes am I giving him? Like to to then go take the step beyond of just, oh, let's just roll the lines yeah. next next pairing up. To juggle all of that on the fly is going to be a challenge for not just Bruce Brudrow, uh, but also uh, the the group running the defense as well. Yeah, Trent Cull and Mike Yo are going to have yep. to, to look at those minutes. And I think that's why the experiment of Jack Rathbone playing nearly 26 minutes last night is important. You're trying to figure out how much this young guy can take on right now. He's playing next to the big brother that is Luke Shen, but... At the same time, offensively, you can be very confident with what he does in the offensive zone. But puck management is still going to be something that he's got to figure out. Defensive positioning is something he's going to figure mm-hmm. out. So when we talk about, you know, that Tyler Myers and whoever pairing, maybe it's Danny DeKaiser, part of this is also of how much can Jack Rathbone take on. If he makes his team, which he should, how much, what is that usage like? And that will limit how much you probably use those other guys. So you got to figure out the formula for both of those, that second and third pairing, if you go with Ekman, Larson, Hughes as the first pairing. Uh, that's what Mike is saying as well, 650-650 into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox on the idea of uh, Jack Rathbone saying he's a reckless passer. His first pass is terrible. Turnover machine, it will cost them games. I think we, okay, I think we know enough now about D-men that play that profile. They handle the puck a lot. Yeah. Okay. And they're going to give it up. And they're going to give it up. You saw it with Eric Carlson, who, who was kind of like the leader of this, of like, oh, he's terrible. It's like, no. When you handle the puck as much as you do, you're going to turn it over sometimes, and your your giveaways on NHL box scores are going to look higher than usual. But yeah, they also play 28, 29 minutes, and we went through this with Quinn Hughes. Has Quinn Hughes turned the puck over at disadvantageous times and has led to goals, even losses? Yep. Yes. He has. But you afford that flexibility to certain players to say, because of all the other things that you do that just generally speaking go unnoticed and overlooked by fans, you live with that. Jack Rothbone is in that style of player. Now, sure. he's going to play a lot less minutes, I understand. And he is going to have to work on the, the puck management. That is going to be a thing. But that's some of the fine-tuning that I was mentioning earlier. You're going to have to smooth out his game. That's just what happens with young players. I don't know. Like I, I agree. Like yeah, he can be reckless, but he's also going to do so many things that other players just can't do with his mobility and puck carrying ability. If he scores on one of the opportunities he got last night, we're probably talking about this a little bit differently. You're willing to live with that recklessness, if you want to call it that risk taking. Maybe it sometimes it feels it's kind of nonchalant because it's so natural. The offensive side of things, it just looks smooth. It looks smooth. It looks natural, but. If you're able to put up points like a Quinn Hughes does, you're okay with that. If you're able to do that like Eric Carlson used to do in his prime, you're okay with that. Brent Burns, doesn't matter. 
Now, I know Drew Doughty was chirping Burns for winning a Norris when he wasn't good defensively. <laughs> but the fact is, Burns was able to do something that people in the league could not do. He was creating offense. And Rathbone is not going to be in the same conversation as those guys. But he is a play driver. He is going to be able to change how this team moves the puck up the ice. And the first pass isn't going to be pretty early on in his career every single time. That's something that takes time. And you never know what the ceiling with this player is going to be. But the question is, in the short term, how much can he take on? Is it 15 minutes a game? Is it 13? If it's a little bit north of that, and him and Shen are actually a good pairing in this preseason, Bickett does give them a little bit more options. It does say, all right, DeKaiser and Myers, you're the third pair. You guys are going to take a little bit less, or at least evenly split with the Shen and Rathbone. If you're able to do that, if you have more confidence in that Rathbone-Shen pairing, then the Kaiser-Myers pairing to me, I'm not as worried. However, if you've got them as a second pairing, to Kaiser and Myers, I worry about that. That, that implies they're going to be playing a lot of minutes and the mobility of Danny DeKaiser with the, the play that Tyler Myers has, it can be good like we saw yesterday on that goal from Vasily Podkolzin. But when they're not creating, it does have his risk as well. That's a, that's a worrying pairing for me. Uh, Viking Stad texting in 650-650. I want to see how much of a jump Rathbone and Dermot might have. Also, where are we with Pullman? I wonder if any of those com- combos of three names could make a second pair where Dermot and Pullman be for sure a bad second pair was it possible they hold their own. It depends on what kind of Tucker Pullman we see. Because yeah. you do need a stay-at-home option next to Travis Dermot. He's a good player. He's an upgrade from what they've had in the last couple of years. But Bick, we all know he's going to make that mistake occasionally. The more ice time he sees, are you comfortable with the guy playing next to him to just essentially pull a Chris Tanev? Mm-hmm. Subtly just make sure that even that mistake, you don't notice it too much. Clean up the messes. Clean up the messes. And you can't go YOLO yourself. Tucker Pullman tried to go YOLO a little bit at the beginning of last, uh, last season. He can do that, yeah. And you got to avoid that because there's already one guy on the ice that's probably going to do that to a certain extent. So... In theory, I can see it, but it depends on what kind of Tucker Pullman you get. Uh, 650, 650, good thoughts coming in. Keep them coming. Uh, we'll ra- do a couple more before we wrap up for break here. Uh, this is why they should have traded Miller for a wrong, young right D-Ben. And yeah, that's part of the conversation. That's why we bring it up with uh, when we were talking last week about Bo Horvat. That, that's still an option for them, right, to, to go address the overall depth of the defense because they just need different profile. A, they need better quality, but they also just need better different profiles. Especially on the left side, it's all puck movers. OEL, Hughes, Rathbone, you just need different body types. You need different style types to be able to play in in all these different roles that uh, you're going to be asking them because you just become static then. And I think at moments last year, especially early in the season, everybody knew like the puck was going to get break. Broken out on the left side of the defense. Yep, overload and, that side. And you can overload that side, and you can cause difficulty. And that's why they 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 had some fire drills on their own end at times because quick transition plays, and yeah, you can save the first opportunity, but wave after wave after wave, that that takes its toll on you. And are you taking penalties? And you're then giving up goals. And we, we, we saw all these issues feed into each other. And I think yesterday, if you look at that second pairing, DeKaiser and Myers, uh, technically the first pairing yesterday, you did see even the fourth line of Calgary, they went at him. They went at DeKaiser when he had the puck because that opening shift was a, a bit of a, all right, kind of bobbled the puck. So you talk about overloading the left-hand side when Quinn Hughes is on there. 
that goes also for a veteran player that maybe is not as quick. We saw, we've seen it with numerous defensemen over the last five years here in Vancouver, where if you're not confident in one of the two defensemen, guess what? Teams are going to target you, right? And even in a preseason game yesterday, we saw some success there from a team, to their credit, the lesser of teams, but who outworked the Vancouver Canucks yesterday. It was, it was the Calgary Flames B team. And the moments like that where you're saying, all right, we see this guy clearly hasn't played hockey in a little bit. He's mm-hmm. maybe getting used to a new team. Maybe the mobility's not there like it used to be. All right, go for him. Be heavy on the forecheck. That is one of the things you have to keep an eye out, especially with a veteran defenseman. Uh, someone else texting in, stock up, Archer Silovs. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to be fair, like this isn't a change. No, the this stock has been is, stock up for a while. The stock up just continues to uh, reward shareholders that have been in on our Turley Sea Love since the ground floor. No, and great save on Pelche yesterday as well. In tight, the organization likes him. It seems like the fan base likes him. And every time you see him, he just does one or two things to say, all right, yep, I can see why. I can see why that stock is up. He, he, he constantly rewards the faith put into him uh, from, from the coaching staff and, and the fans' expectations and hype. Uh, absolutely. It's a good, uh, good shout into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What else are they saying, Randy? We got this one coming in, essentially saying load up, just run Hughes and OEL, and then a grab bag of three other defensemen and essentially wash and repeat. That might be the, it doesn't sound great, but they might have to do that certain stretches. If you, A, if you believe that Quinn Hughes can play the right-hand side, which later on in training camp, he looked a lot better. Right? The first day, it was kind of a, a little bit of hesitation. You could tell he's still getting used to it. It's kind of what Brendan Dillon mentioned to us. It's like you're driving on the other side of the street. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's going to be different. Second day, later, as the scrimmages went on, he looked a lot better. If you load up and say, this is the best option that we have, and they're going to play half of the game, the rest of the, the defensemen, as we've been talking about, are going to be a bit of a grab bag. You don't know what the best pairing is. And I feel with Tyler Myers, he's going to get second pair minutes. He probably is, unless Jack Rathbone shows you something. No, he it was so he impressive, is. right? Like he Tyler Myers is. is locked into that spot. But the problem is, who's your fourth D man in that situation? It is. It may be a grab bag, uh, which is why I've talked about. Hey, is the OEL Hughes thing a, a situational? Like the the zone starts of it, and when they're in the offensive zone in a faceoff, you can say, hey, you guys start there. We can always rely on you in our own end, but we're not going to do that full time. You can play the full shift together, but you pick and choose the moments. Even, you know, we're talking to uh, Tyler Uremchuk earlier, and he Mm -hmm. said, hey, they love to go 11 forward, 7D man. Is that something you explore here, right? So someone's chiming about Kyle Burroughs. His name is not always being mentioned just yet. Uh, Again, it's it's a thing that, like, they're going to have to work the entire group to see who can fit in what role. We got this text. I think it's aimed at me, Gary and Maple Ridge. You guys are so negative about DeKaiser. Decent D-man on a bad team. Hey, he's he's in the running for this team. Mm-hmm. Like There's there's a reason he's on, he's on a PTO. There's a reason that he is playing on this team. They need, have a need there. My point is after one game, I'm not a huge fan of the mobility, but he can change that narrative on Thursday if he plays. The other aspect is look across the Pacific Division. Which defensive group are you really in love with? Mm-hmm. Other than Vegas, Shea Theodore, Petrangelo, you've got White Cloud on the back end there as well, and Calgary, who is probably the deepest blue line in, in the league. Yeah. What other defense wows you in the Pacific Division? So the Canucks are still very, very competitive, but if you do load up with Houston... Well, the Kings. Yeah, but I think there's still questions there, right? How does Doughty come back? Is he 
Is he as good as he was last year? Mm-hmm. A couple of those younger guys, do they continue to take steps? Sean Dursey is is very well liked across the NHL, but I think it's fair to ask whether he can hit that level in a sophomore season. Those are worthy questions to me. Uh, for sure. Uh, but it, it's something that we talk about, uh, we've mentioned across the league, really, uh, not just in the Pacific, across the league. Defenses are struggling right now. Sure. Because it's, you're looking for... A puck movers, obviously, primarily, and there just aren't enough of those bodies around. Uh, but yeah, the overall depth of D men is lacking. And, and while the Canucks are on the low end, the the that that tier of talent is a rather large group. So even when we say, "Hey, they, they're maybe the twenty sixth best decor," the difference between twenty six and fifteen to me isn't that large. No. Uh, Big Nazar. And Randy Janda will be back on the other side. We'll do turf trivia as well. Don't at me coming up. Uh, but we'll talk to Brendan Batchelor on the other side. The voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.